0: Thanks, Stuart. What's that got to do with the exile and return, you might ask? Now, for those that don't know me by that, my name's Jeff Leader, I'm part of the ministry team here. It's great to have you here tonight with us. And Stuart asked me to preach this uh, sermon, which is the last in our series in the Old Testament, We're looking at the Old Testament this term. He said, well, look, I want you to focus on the exile and return, but we'd like to sort of cover the covenant relationship of God, which sort of flows through the whole of the Old Testament. And if you can, sort of uh, wrap it up with sort of how it points to Jesus and the gospel and then take us into the communion. So uh, the temptation is to spend a couple of hours up here (laughs) trying to cover that ground, but we'll try and do it in half an hour. Before I start, I think I need God's help. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your word and we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. So We pray, Lord, that we may listen with open hearts and minds to receive what you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Just want to open with a question. Have you ever wondered how important stories are in our life? I think we all enjoy a good story, don't we? whether it's reading a book or watching a movie or listening to someone share an experience or experiences in life. Or perhaps we like a good joke, which is wrapped up in a good story. I think most people would prefer to read a good novel rather than reading a textbook or an instruction manual. You see, stories capture our imagination Stories can transport us to other worlds and other places and other times. Stories enable us to see things from another person's perspective or experience. Stories are also important in learning and sharing about our history and our culture, our background. Stories help us to get to know people as we share our life experiences with one another. The reality is we all have a story to share and no matter how uneventful or boring your life may seem or appear to you, you really do have a story to tell. You have a story about your life and it's worth listening to, it's worth sharing Stories are an important means of communication. We remember a story far easier than just a whole series of facts and figures. For example, most people will find it easier to remember a story that a preacher tells during the course of a sermon to illustrate a point rather than the point that they were trying to make. And in preaching school, we're often told, don't make your illustrations too good because that's what people remember and not the point of what you're trying to say. But when we come to the Bible, we find the Bible is full of stories. We see kids' Bible story books. But in fact, the Bible is one big story of God's relationship with mankind, with humanity. And over the course of this term, we've been looking at the story of the Old Testament. And we've been using Stuart's brilliant timeline to highlight the main Old Testament events and themes. And tonight, we're going to be looking briefly at the last two. The exile of Israel to Babylon and the return of the Jews to Israel some 70 years later. But apart from being a part of the Bible's story, we need to ask ourselves a bigger question than that. What, if anything, has that got to do with us? How is this story relevant to us? You see, as we read the Old Testament, we find that it recounts the history of the people of Israel. long time ago. Two, th- three millennia ago and longer. But in this story, we'll find repeated passages which encourage the people to remember their story. Remember the story of how God has interacted with them remember what god has taught them how he's involved himself with their history with their story but the important thing for us to appreciate is that whilst it is the story of israel it is also our story as well as believers in jesus it is our story just as much as it was as it was the story of the people of israel long ago And so it is just as important for us to know the story and to remember the story. Why? Because the Bible reveals several important things about God. It tells us about his character. And we find that God is a God of love. He is a relational God. He is a God in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And God created people to have a relationship with him, a relationship of praise and love. And we find that God almost also makes promises and he keeps the promises he makes, he keeps his word. But God is also a God of justice and judgment. God sets the rules, he gives us commands and he establishes boundaries for living our lives and what we find is there is salvation and blessing for those who obey the rules but there is punishment or there's consequences for those who disobey for those who rebel against God for those who turn their back on God because we find that God takes sin seriously so onto the story The story of the Old Testament. Let's go. It begins with God creating the world, Genesis 1 and 2. He creates man to occupy the world as his ambassadors. Mankind was given the job to rule the world. However, the people God created broke the one negative command that he told that God gave them. And as a consequence of their actions, God punished them and kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. And then we find God judging the people in Noah's time, sometime down the track. He judged them for their depravity and yet he saved Noah and his family from the destruction in the great flood. And then in Genesis 12, we find God calling a man called Abram, later to be known as Abraham. And he promised to make Abraham into a great nation, even though he's well advanced in age and didn't have any children at that point. God promised that he would become a great people, that they would occupy their own land, have their own country, with the express purpose of being a blessing to all people, to all nations. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. But then it took more than another 500 years or so for Abraham's offspring to finally take possession of the promised land of Canaan. During that time, they'd moved to Egypt in a time of famine and they stayed there. They stayed put. And eventually, they found themselves um, as slaves in Egypt. But then God miraculously intervenes, sends the plagues on Egypt, on the Egyptians, uh, to the point that the Egyptians just couldn't take it anymore and they said, (laughs) ha, out of here, we've had enough, go. And so the people of Israel, who numbered probably several, several million by that stage, left Egypt. And they headed to the Promised Land. But as they were about to enter the Promised Land, <coughs> they stuffed up again. And so God um, punished them by sending them back into the wilderness for another 40 years. As we get to the end of this period of 40 years, we find the people had moved around to the eastern side of the River Jordan. And we land in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's there that Moses addresses the people. And he reminds the people to remember the laws that God gave the people at Mount Sinai 40 years beforehand. He reminds them of how God acted miraculously to free the people from Egypt, how God has miraculously miraculously sustained them by providing food for them through the time they spent in the wilderness. Indeed, if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, it's a great read, we find this refrain, remember what God has done, remember what he's done on your behalf, remember the rules the commands that he gave you. Remember, he is your Lord, your God. And Moses also encourages the people to worship and love the Lord. And they do that by obeying his laws, living the way he wants them to live. And so as we come move through Deuteronomy, we find in, in chapter 28 that Moses tells them of the blessings that will come their way if they obey God. He also mentions the consequences or punishments that will result if they disobey God. In chapter 29, Moses again reminds the people of their story, of how God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And it's here that God renews his covenant with them, his commitment to them. It's a relational thing. And we find that there are serious consequences for disobedience, even to the extent... That they would be expelled from the promised land if they rebelled and disobeyed. However, there is a hope for those who return to the Lord. And I'm sorry, this is a little whoops. Small (laughs) (coughs) excuse me. Deuteronomy thirty. It's a key passage. Why are we? I'll explain why we drop into this in a minute. But note what he says. This is Moses speaking. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you and you take them to heart, key word heart, it's a heart relationship with God. When you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, there's a dispersion, there's a scattering here, And when you and your children return to the Lord and your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, note it's not just legalistic or ritualistic obedience. It's actually with heart and soul. Then at verse 3 it says, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. And he will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors. And you will take possession of... (laughs) Thanks, Nelson. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise... Note again the words... Circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live, live the life he has prepared for us, live the way he wants us to live and reap the blessings of living a life honouring and worshipping God. But the passage continues, verse 7, it says, The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again... Obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you more prosperous, most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. Verse 10. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in the book of of the Lord, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Notice that continued repetition. The relationship that God wants with us involves our heart and our soul. He wants us to love him wholeheartedly. Now, this passage, why have we dropped into this? Well, this passage actually sets the scene for the remainder of the Old Testament story. And it helps us understand what subsequently happens to the people of Israel when they turn to worship idols and seek help from other nations and not from God. In fact, we could almost stop there at that point because that is, this is precisely what happens to the people of Israel for the next thousand years. The sad reality was that the people kept forgetting their allegiance to God. God who was their true king and that, way, and that they were to trust him and do, the th- do things his way. But moving on from Deuteronomy, the story moves to see how Israel invades the land of Canaan but within a generation we see how they forgot their story and entered into a very unsettled time that we read about in the Judges. We read, then read of the appointment of the first king of Israel, Saul. Why did they want a king? To be like the other nations. God was their king, but they wanted a human king. He gives them Saul. Saul didn't quite work out uh, particularly well, but we then find uh, David becoming king. And it was under David and then his son Solomon that Israel became a great nation in the Middle East at that time. However, through sin and rebellion, the nation split in two in uh, around 930 BC. The northern tribes decided we've had enough of being governed by uh, Rehoboam in in Jerusalem and so they took off and uh, set up their own kingdom which was known as Israel under Jeroboam. The southern kingdom... Remained intact as the king, and then it was known as the kingdom of Judah. Over the next 200 years, the northern kingdom had no less than 19 different kings, all of whom turned their back on God and worshipped the idols of the nations around them. 19 evil kings, you might say. The story of the northern kingdom didn't end well. They were invaded by the Assyrians in 722 BC and most of the inhabitants were deported and dispersed across the Assyrian Empire. Does that have echoes of what Moses said back in Deuteronomy? They lost their identity as a people and they disappeared into history as as a cultural identity. The Assyrians resettled the northern area of Israel with their own people and the area became subsequently known as Samaria. The southern kingdom, on the other hand, had 20 kings. Actually, they had 19 kings and one queen. She didn't work out particularly well either. But a number of these kings were faithful. There were a number of them that were faithful to God and there were revivals of worship of God I'll put this in because Stuart loves these sorts of graphs. <laughs> you'll see that there are a number of evil kings of Judah, there are a number of good kings, and there are times of revival when there's a real turning back to God uh, in the course of this period of time. But you'll notice uh, towards the left-hand, sorry, right-hand side that the last lot weren't particularly good and the kingdom finally... Uh, fell to the Babylonians in 586 BC. And the Babylonians came, they'd conquered the Assyrians and they invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and deported a large number of the people to Babylon where they stayed for around 70 years. Now, the Babylonians allowed the Israelites, the Jews, to actually maintain their own cultural identity and so it was more like they, when they went to Babylon, they were exiled, but they had their own communities, which preserved their story, preserved the history, preserved the law. And uh, that was uh, how they lived and maintained that, that Jewish identity. <clears throat> now, during the period of the kings through to the end of the Old Testament we find a whole series of prophets. Now, the prophets, their their basic message was to challenge the sins of the people and to encourage them to repent and return to obeying God's commands. Their message was like a squeaky wheel because it just was repeated over and over and over again, almost ad nauseum. They encourage people to remember their story, remember their history, remember how God had acted towards them in the past, remember what God had done for them and with them. And they were encouraged to remember that God doesn't change, that he makes promises that are bound up in the covenant he made with them. And God keeps his promises. He is faithful to his word. But bound up in the covenant are not only blessings, which they aspired to, but there are dire consequences for disobedience. And that's why, as we read through the Old Testament prophets, we see this hard line they took against people's sin because they knew God would judge them. They knew there were dire consequences for disobedience, they knew that God takes sin seriously. And that there will be a day and time of judgment. So we see this remembering thing coming again and again and again all through the Old Testament. The Persians conquered the Babylonians around 540 BC. And it was at this time that they allowed some of the Jews to return to Israel under Zerubbabel. And they had the express intention of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem and get it functioning again. However, they met with a lot of opposition from the locals and it wasn't until about 516 BC, uh, 34 years later, that the temple was finally completed. It was a great celebration at that time that the temple had been rebuilt. It was nothing at all like the magnificent structure that Solomon built and it was destroyed. Those who could remember Solomon's temple actually wept because this this temple was really just... uh, didn't measure up. It's all right, we're falling apart. Uh, Yep, so then in 458 BC, another group under Ezra returned. Now, Ezra was a priest, he was a scribe, he was very learned in the law... And he was very committed to adhering to the law. Ezra came with another group and he brought various reforms to the temple worship and he sought to bring the province as a whole under Jewish law. However, he had limited authority to bring uh, to do this and he was frustrated in bringing it about. The third group that uh, we read about is in 432 BC when another... A group returned with Nehemiah, who was chiefly responsible for rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. If you start reading Nehemiah, you'll see his prayer to God is a prayer which reiterates what Moses said to the people way back in Deuteronomy. Remember, God, the promise you made that if people repent and return to you to obey your laws you would bring them back from the dispersion. You'd bring them back to the promised land. Now, Nehemiah had a greater authority. He actually brought some soldiers with him. Uh, He had greater authority than Ezra, and he was able to implement a number of reforms during his his time as governor. Now, the Ezra-Nehemiah period covers some 140 years, down to about 400 B.C., it begins expectantly with the permission to return and rebuild the temple. However, the book of Nehemiah actually ends on a note of profound disappointment, that the measures instituted by these two reformers, Ezra and Nehemiah, did not prevail. And at the close of the period, around 400 BC, we find that uh, the priestly the uh, caste group, they actually had control... Of most of the things that are happening in the community, and they became very legalistic in their uh, expression of their faith, their beliefs. Uh, they were committed to obeying the law, but they added all these extra laws, and people were just weighed down with this legalism. And we see this carried all the way through to Jesus's time, when he had all these conflicts with the Pharisees at the time in his time. They were the descendants of this uh, priestly caste who uh, forced this um, unreasonable obedience to the law on people and they lost the whole idea that the law was meant to um, establish a heart relationship with God. And this, this continued through to about the time of the fall of Jerusalem which was AD 70. Now, the period of history covered by the Old Testament closes with Nehemiah. On the side of the prophets, the last prophet in the Bible's... Um, I nearly said it, Malachi. Malachi. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets and he probably wrote during Nehemiah's time. Malachi reminds us forcibly that the return from Babylon did not fulfil all of Israel's hopes. That the people fell still fell far short of what God required of them, and again we see the refrain in uh, Malachi four four. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, for all of Israel. Remember, guys, will you remember it? It's a plea. But Malachi also reminds them that there is a hope for the future. When he says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. This is the Messiah. This is the promised Messiah that we see elements of through the Old Testament uh, uh, prophets. God will send a Messiah to save his people. And so from this time, the people are hanging out for this saviour. They're waiting for the Messiah to come. The Messiah was going to free them from oppression, from the ruling powers, to give them independence, to give them a place in history once again. This is the Messiah that they were waiting for. And it links with the opening pages of the New Testament where we find devout Jews still waiting for what they call the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 2. (coughs) now I just want to briefly complete the historical narrative because looking at all this it actually helps us to understand the background of the Old Testament and more so the background of the New Testament the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament saw some major shifts in political power and cultural influences the Jews were subject to the Persians from the time of Cyrus's conquest of Babylon in 540 BC to the defeat of the last Persian king, uh, Darius, by Alexander the Great in 330 BC. Nearly 200 years of Persian rule. Then began for the Jews what is referred to as the Greek period. And for four centuries, the Jews were part of that cultural environment which came to be known as the Hellenistic period. They were... Ruled from Egypt, then they were ruled from Syria, then they were ruled from Rome. And they, during this time, they had a short periods of independence, but all the time they were exposed to this Hellenistic culture. After Alexander's death in 323 BC, the Greek period is one of political turbulence and turmoil. And then in the century before Jesus, Rome rose to power, the Roman Empire. Judah became a Roman province and uh, after the Roman general Pompey conquered or captured Jerusalem in 63 BC. Now just on a side note, the Romans were actually on the whole just and tolerant overlords and they made many concessions to the Jews, which could be a surprise to many. But the Jews hated the Romans with a passion simply because they were Gentiles lording it over the Jews in God's promised land. That's the Old Testament history in a nutshell, briefly. Covered a lot of ground in a short space of time. There's been some dates, but uh, yeah. Question, I'll return to the question I asked at the start. Why is it important for us to know the Old Testament story? Why is it relevant for us? And what can we learn from it? Well, firstly, I think people too easily forget their story. Sometimes I wonder how the people in Old Testament times could so quickly turn away from God when time after time he miraculously intervened to save them. But you know, when we look closer and look at the timeline, we see that there are often decades, if not centuries, of time between God acting and the people turning away from him. And just putting it in a modern context, how much do you know of your heritage? How much do you know of your family history? How much do you know about, say, the life and times of your grandparents or even your great-grandparents? Do you know how they lived, what they did, what challenges they faced in life? Were they people of faith? Many people would struggle to answer that and that's only a couple of generations. People come and go, we pass. And we do forget. Secondly, we can get too comfortable. Often when things are going well and we don't have any issues in life, any dramas, any challenges or any health issues or financial issues, we can become very comfortable in life and the danger there is we don't need God we can just park him, we haven't got anything that we really need him to be a part of in our life, it's a dangerous part, uh, dangerous time to be in when we become too comfortable The third thing, and I think that's probably more applicable, is when life gets busy. Life can get busy with family commitments, uh, children, parents, grandparents, the whole gamut there. We can get caught up with um, work responsibilities. Work can get so busy and stressful. We can get tied up with church activities. There's always something going on that we can be involved in at church. And then there are social and sporting commitments as well. Life gets very, very busy. And God is often squeezed out of the picture as life gets busy. He's either seen to be not needed or is in re- irrelevant to what we do on a day to day basis. And like going to church, kind of knock out a quarter of your very precious weekend time. If we're not reminded and constantly reminded and refreshed with God's story of his saving grace in our lives, we run the risk of forgetting what he has done in saving us from the consequences of our sins. And he's done that through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. We need to be reminded that God wants a relationship with us. We've been saved for that purpose. We need to be reminded that he's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can be a blessing to those around us, that we can share the message of new life to our community. We need to remember the part that God has played in our lives to this time. And he has indeed been a part of our lives. It's why you're all here tonight. And both in our history as his people and in our own personal walk with God. He is a part of us. And this is part of our story. It is our story. Our heritage. And a heritage, a story we remind ourselves of frequently and hope to pass on to our children because it is a precious story to us. And the Old Testament story is part of our story as believers. So we're encouraged to learn from it and not make the same mistakes the people of Israel made. Instead, we need to claim the promises of God and live our lives in obedience to his will and purpose for us. One of the ways to remember an important part of our story is to regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper. and We're going to do that in a very short time. And it's here that we're reminded regularly of Jesus' death and resurrection and the impact that had on us as individuals and as his people collectively. And just as coming to church every week, and just as we read our Bibles day by day, and just as being a part of a life group during the week, this meal is a physical way of reminding us of the spiritual reality of God's presence in our lives this is part of our story and we're encouraged to remember our story not to just walk away from it remember what God has done in your life remember he's still a part of your life and he wants to be a part of your life he wants a relationship with all of us but we need to remember what he's done remember our story is his story let's pray gracious Lord we 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 thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you love us, that we are precious in your sight, that you regard us as children, very dear to you. Lord, help us to remember what you've done in our lives, to remember the exciting times, the times of challenge, the times of trial that you've brought us through, the times you've sustained us and helped us the times you've taught us and encouraged us and challenged us and stretched us. Lord, we thank you for involving yourself with us. Thank you that you know us. And Father, we praise you and we glorify you as our Lord and our God. And may we never forget that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Q&A. Awesome. <coughs> Questions? Oh, that was easy. (laughs) No questions?